I don't think people are taking time off work to hit this. <laughs> I, uh, you sent me some video of you dancing around the kitchen. It was amazing. <laughs> Music any white drunk college kid can dance to. I'll just stick with the AI stuff. That's yeah. Rowan said that, not me. My math teacher, like, she doesn't explain it that well. Well, that's the hallucination, right? That's like AI hallucination. We have lives, too. <laughs> Mother Shipton's cave. Rich Haddam is coming. Jim Harold is coming. I'm doing a lot of laughing, is it? Mm-hmm. Right. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Cook Unity, our contributors at Patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from everyone at Astonishing Legends. Tonight, we are thrilled to bring back the Astonishing Legends All-Star Holiday Special for the fourth year in a row. Yes, we are. We've got a great lineup this year with several returning powerhouse podcasters and a few new faces in the crowd. Yeah, well, we actually recorded this live a week or two ago and streamed it to our patrons when we did. And in fact, the uncensored, unedited video version of it is still available to watch at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends. So if you are a patron, you can find it there. And if you're not, now is the time to sign up so you can access cool stuff like that and the astonishing junk drawer. Yes, and we're sort of combining our cold open and housekeeping for tonight, so we'll just get a few quick announcements out of the way. The first one being that this is our last new show of 2023. We generally shut down for about three weeks this time of year, but this year I'm going to post at least one of the older junk drawers from Patreon to our main feed, and maybe two, so we can keep you company between Christmas and New Year's if you're so inclined. But there will not be any new junk drawers on Patreon until we come back from the holiday break with our first show of the new year on January 13th, 2024. 2024. Weird, wild stuff. Tempest Fugit. Or is that Tempest Fugit? Oh, that's Fugit. Right. It's not well, Fugit. That's it's the Fugit. way. <laughs> Folks, we have an amazing show tonight, and the reason it's amazing is because of our wonderful friends and paranormal podcasting compatriots. So we'd like to take a minute right now to thank them so much for making the time to join us and make this special possible. Firstly, we're welcoming back our returning guests in alphabetical order, Paul Gledhill, Micah Hanks, Jim Harold, Richard Adam, and Allison Jordan. And introducing the hosts of the new Astonishing Legends Network podcast, Scared All the Time, Ed Vicola and Chris Kulari. As some of you will know Ed as the mechanic and our behind-the-scenes technical director on StreamYard for the junk drawers we do on Patreon. Yes, and stay tuned at the end of the show for a special after-party toast with Miranda from the Midnight Library, the guys from Scared All the Time, and our right-hand woman, Tess Vival. Okay, let's kick this off. <laughs> Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. A friend is someone who gives you total freedom to be yourself. Jim Morrison. Oh, that's a good impression. Join yeah. us tonight for the Astonishing Legends All-Star Holiday Special 4. Everybody, welcome to the Astonishing Legends All-Star Holiday Special number four. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. So happy holidays. And everybody knows this guy over here, Forrest. Say hello. Hello, Forrest. Yes. Hello, Scott. <laughs> Good to see you again. 
once again, what we were determined to make into a tradition and we've just forced it on everybody. So we hope you enjoy it. We're excited to be doing this. We have a really great uh, group of people with us tonight. In no specific order, I'm going to start welcoming people here just for the sake of welcoming them. Uh, Richard Haddam, he's one of our most uh, highest number of returning guests and also the... Uh, <laughs> Drinkingest one. Rich, thank you. Don't forget to unmute your mic. Um, did you say I'm your highest guest? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so far. So far. I've been to these parties you guys throw. They're crazy. Anything can happen. <laughs> You're the George Goebel or Tiny Tim of the, the talk show uh, recurring circuit. So what are those? Just, yes. We'd love to have you on. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Um, I would also like to welcome back. Uh, this is her second time on the show. It's going to be Allison Jornlin. Allison, welcome hey, back everybody. for the holiday special. Great to see you. Happy holidays. Hey. hey, Allison. Happy holidays. So good to see you. Can we make you a drink? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not alcoholic, though. Okay. After let me go whip year, up a... After last <laughs> Diet cherry coke coming right up. All right, folks. I'd also like to welcome uh, Mr. Micah Hanks to the show, and also Jim Harold. I wanted to bring them out at, at pretty close to the same time, just to avoid any. Uh, any Look, I brought a friend with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my very favorite people and, and best friends, in fact, and. The only guy that I would admit sounds better than I do on the microphone. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Merry Christmas, buddy. Good to be here. Honored to always be invited. I look forward to this each and every year. Indeed. Likewise. We are so glad to have both of you guys back. I would like to welcome again, returning again, Mr. Gledders from the UK, where it's like three in the morning. Thank you for joining us, Gled. We appreciate it. Season's greetings. Thank you very much. Welcome back. And uh, then I would also like to welcome the mechanic, Ed, who has been our technical director. A lot of you guys will recognize him and the co-host of his new show, Scared All the Time, Chris Kulari. Chris, welcome. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. So uh, now we got everybody here. Uh, the first thing I want to say is happy holidays. And I forgot to say this before we started. Any of you that are recording locally, if you haven't started already, please start recording. So just so Sarah has a backup. And if you're not, don't worry about it, Rich. I know you don't know how to do that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Apparently I'm being put at the podcast kids' table. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. This is the foul mouth kids' table. I'll watch my language. Don't worry, guys. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. That's, you know what? I would prefer to be at the kids' table. That's where all the cool stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, so scared all the time, you guys. Ed, Chris, that show, how many episodes have you got out now? Six. Six? Yeah. Seven will be next week. Okay. Yeah. How's it? How do you like working all the time on podcasting? <laughs> Podcasting's easy, right? <laughs> it certainly isn't. Not if you want it to be good. Not yeah. if you want it to be good. It's funny when Ed first started talking about doing it and he came to me and, and we were talking about what would we want to do and what would the topics be and everything. There's a great split in podcasting that I'd never really thought of before. And it took us probably three or four arguments to not arguments, but to figure <laughs> out that I only listen to podcasts where people sit around and kind of just like riff and there's not a lot of research or anything. And Ed really only listens to podcasts to learn kind of like like Astonishing Legends. And so for a long time, Ed was like, well, it seems like you don't really want to do too much research. And I was like, what do you mean research? It's a podcast. Like, I don't think there's that much research to do. Now I'm writing 30 pages a week. <laughs> But it's fun. <laughs> and you've learned the biggest lesson out of all this is that you should have stuck to your idea 
and not have to do 30 pages of research for every episode. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the lesson that Scott and I regret the most. Yeah. Why aren't years. we just drinking beer and talking about movies? We do like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We all messed up here, guys. <laughs> you're at the show in some way you've messed up. If you're on this, uh, yeah. it means that we all work too hard. <laughs> it's the truth. It's been fun. It's all topics that we've been referring to. It as like astonishing legends after dark. So it's sort of like a looser, there's swearing. It's a little bit more of like a mix of information and comedy and, um, we're not just doing phobias, although we're going to cover some of those, but it's anything that scares us or seems to scare other people. And we kind of do a little bit of the history of the topic. And then Ed invented something called the fear tier. At the end of each episode, <laughs> we rank these things on a, a scale of how much they frighten us and how afraid we are of, of something bad happening if we encounter them. So what is your benchmark <laughs> for fear? Why don't you go ahead with that one? I don't think that's okay for the Christmas show. Oh, it's okay. I, I, we think, can, I, know, uh, I think we all need to hear it. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Make it holiday themed. Spooky ghost stories. Come on. Yeah. No. Put the kids away. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, the scale is, and this is embarrassing, I'm turning red. <laughs> the scale is from one being the least scary to hot being the most scary and it is i'm so mad at rich right now and it is uh because i read a story of a woman in la who, who a homeless person uh threw a bucket of hot on her and to this day i can't i think about it like once a week so it's to me that's like top level like i don't that's my worst fear currently at the moment <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that's real human. That's a human fear. You guys, I mean, you know, if you're going to say, oh, I'm afraid of ghosts, come on. I personally have a problem with Bring the fact the that ghosts. it was described as hot. Like, to me, that was why it sticks around. But literally, yes, that is what we do. And we have a lot of freedom. Our podcast overlords that are Scott and Forrest, who put us on the Astonishing Legends Network, they pretty much just let us do what we want, which is nice. Those of us who've had brushes with uh, Los Angeles and the things that go on there have learned how <laughs> annoying notes can be. So uh, my whole thing is like, screw the notes. Let's just do it and see if people like it. Scott, what do I call the episodes I send you? Yeah, he says, <laughs> I'm always like, Ed, just before you hit publish, we can you? Can, I just would like to hear it before you hit publish. And he calls it a courtesy cut. He's like, this is going up in an hour or two. I don't have time to change anything. So he gives, he sends me the courtesy cut. So That's a courtesy listen. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's nice to be here. Thanks to everyone for including us this year. I really enjoyed the last episode, particularly about the uh, cosmonaut who was tapping SOS as he faded out into infinity of space. Yeah, that was a fun one. One of the scariest things, I was like, the episode is about dying in space. <laughs> and that was the incident that inspired yeah. it, was the story of the Russian cosmonauts that were recorded trying to contact Earth as they just apparently floated out into yeah. nowhere. So the people dying in space, is this your holiday episode? <laughs> <laughs> and now for a cheery thought for the holiday season. We haven't thought of a holiday episode yeah. yet, although every year where I'm from, Christmas tree fires are a big thing, so maybe we'll do something about like, oh, that's good. like shoddy electricity. Oh, that's and good, yeah. Maybe a whole family dying would be ideal. Yeah, there I think go. if we can find one... <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, yeah. yeah, some sort this of a, already turned a, corner. a family <laughs> elimination crime. small children and pets. Well, every year people ask us to cover the solder children and I'm like I can't that story is too dark. I can't do it like but that happened at Christmas, didn't it? All right. Well, if we do it, Scott, we'll say it was your idea. Merry okay, Christmas happy holidays. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but did, didn't you and Forrest do a thing about a house up in Los Feliz that was like abandoned but it still had the Christmas decorations up and they were untouched for We decades? talked about was that a junk drawer though? I don't think that was a 
main show. We've never formally done a show. In fact, that's been like maybe four years ago, and I still have a tab open for it in Google <laughs> Chrome. What intrigued me about the story, of course, people are bludgeoned all the time here in L.A. <laughs> that's a new podcast, also bludgeoned all the time. <laughs> Scared all the time, bludgeoned all the time. Hot Bucket of Leavings is the other <laughs> spinoff title for them. But the idea that intrigued me because of this fact was that there is a house in Los Feliz in this neighborhood area, and this did happen just before Christmas, where a prominent doctor seemed to have succumbed to pressure and other, let's say, existential, external, perhaps spiritual forces, and ended up trying to murder his family and himself. And being around Christmas time, very you know, normal. after, of course, this happened, the eldest daughter, she was able to escape. She got hit on the head. She ran to a neighbor's house, so she survived. And uh, he didn't go after her. This is her own father, but he did uh, ingest some poison. And, of course, you got to leave the Bible open to a very telling passage. Uh, As for, one does. Uh, well, yeah, just you got to keep <laughs> right, people guessing on. afterwards. Just you, never, you don't want it uh, a clean exit. So they all passed away. She, of course, went off to live with other relatives and that house was essentially sealed up. Yeah, I mean, it, of course, it was investigated, but they just kind of closed it up. And as this was all unfolding, and now who owns the house and where does it go to? Who's going to buy it? There was a stack of Christmas presents that were on the table for maybe 40, 50 years. That was mm. part of it. And that oh they God. never touched oh them. Well, here's what I would do is go <laughs> through them, of course, and just anything unboxed, start to put it on eBay with his comic book collection. <laughs> uh, still in the package kind of things, which is kind of morbid, but Rich would know this. The owner of Rockaway Records, I believe, there was an older couple. They ended up buying the house eventually, okay. I think sometimes in the in the 80s or 90s. Rockaway Record was a it was a very famous East Side used record store, very cool place. It was either them where they bought it. And basically the other weird thing is that the weirdness didn't stop. They bought the house, kept it for about another 20 years, and never did anything with it. It was the very basic thing to like keep the weeds down. And then they gave it to their son and right. he inherited the house and, and had it for, you know, another 10 years and he never did anything with it. But now it's been redone, right? There's somebody living in it now, right? I believe it's been purchased. It's been on the market. I mean, they never gave it up and they never wanted to sell it. They also never wanted to do anything with it. People have broken in and try to do their own ghost, you know, legend tripping and ghost investigations. And it's very haunted, of course. And then there was a great story in the LA Weekly. Somebody had uh, snuck in. The very first thing that happened to them was that they got bit by a black widow spider. And then there was oh. a cascading <laughs> uh, series of, of just weird events that happened to them. So, yes, wow. so it's a very haunted place. Very cool house. There is a dance floor or like a ballroom on the third level. It's, it's quite an unusual house and, and a bit of local lore here. So, anyway, that's the story. And, yes, happened around Christmas. But to me, eventually those presents went somewhere. It's like, can you imagine getting a present from like the 50s with the Christmas wrapping unopened. I just want to know what they were. Dust, what what were those presents? Perhaps a hula hoop. Perhaps. A hula hoop. So, <laughs> Perhaps. Right. so before yeah. we go any further, just quickly, I know you guys, everybody's met Ed and Chris. Let's just for people that haven't heard or seen us before, let's go through. I'm going to go Brady Bunch style here. Micah, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background, what you're up to these days and uh, where they can uh, find you online if they're interested. Certainly, yeah. I'm pretty easy to find online right here at thedebrief.org and also Micah Hanks. Just look for Micah Hanks online. I'm on X or whatever they call that these days. Used to be Twitter, folks. Back in my day, 
Yes, but uh, <laughs> MicahHanks.com also is the website where you can keep up with me and all of my fun things and see the cave photograph that yes. uh, has been an item of discussion recently. <laughs> that undisclosed cave. Actually, that cave, uh, it is undisclosed. Some have probably seen that cave in a uh, film series called Hellier. Yes. But uh, yes, what I'm probably best known for these days is uh, writing and reporting on science technology and, of course, now what the Department of Defense calls unidentified anomalous phenomena, the artists formerly known as UFOs. Yeah. And it's been quite a momentous year for that, so I'm sure we'll get into some more discussion about the UFO issue, what's been happening on Capitol Hill, and all various other sundry things here in just a bit. That's yes. a little about me and who I am, and now about who my daddy is and what he does, right? Is that how this goes? <laughs> no, who's your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> It's awesome. I love your website. I love the debrief. It's broke a lot of uh, pretty uh, groundbreaking news this in the past year or so. so it's been amazing. And uh, it's one a, or two stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great place to start your day if you're into that stuff, folks. And uh, Allison, how about uh, welcome back? Thanks for coming back. Hi. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about your background? Glad to be back. Thanks for inviting me. I always look forward to this. I am just here to pick Micah's brain about UAPs. <laughs> But uh, I am a professional weirdo. I write ghost stories for a living for AmericanGhostWalks.com. We have tours, uh, haunted history tours in seven states and Puerto Rico now. And so I'm just busy myself researching different locations, finding ghost stories that aren't so well known and uh, putting them together for entertaining and educational tours. Well, and you had a pretty interesting experience this year, which I want to talk to you about here in, in a little oh, bit, yeah. your trip on the television. Uh, Mr. Haddam, uh, sure. I think most folks know you who've been listening to the show for a while. What are you up to these days? Well, you know, it was cool back when I could say I was on strike. <laughs> Strike the power. <laughs> now I'm just unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're currently between gigs. Between gigs. Yeah. It's been a weird year. We'll figure out what's next. 2024 should be big. So we'll, uh, we'll I'm putting all my money on 2024. <laughs> <laughs> so are we, hopefully. And, and so, Mr. Jim Harold, how many, what do you got? 14, 15 podcasts now? What's going on over there? Yeah, a bunch. But mainly what I'm known for is Jim Harold's Campfire, which are True ghost stories, real people calling in. That's what most people like. No matter what I try to do, that's what they like. So I'm going with it. Yeah. And then I've had a show for a little while called The Paranormal Podcast. I've been doing it since 2005. And those are the main things that take most of my time and, and then some side projects. And just an honor to be here, guys. I always look forward to this every year. It's almost like the decorating of the Christmas tree. It is an annual tradition. So thank you for making me a part of it. Well, thank you for coming, man. We really appreciate your coming back. We're honored by your presence. As we've often said, you were the person that inspired Forrest and I to get started. So we're, we would like to thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. And now Mr. Gletters, who again is staying up all night just to chime in. What's going on over there in, across the pond? It's 2 a.m. over here. It's it's all well. It is tomorrow now. Yeah. So I uh, I woke up about an hour ago and I've got a nice breakfast beer just to get me going. <laughs> right. So what's going on? Um. Okay. After a lot of hard work, I managed to get uh, an episode out this year, uh, for my podcast, which is called Anomaly. But yeah, it's been a really really busy year, and I, I was thinking about sort of referring to the same stuff as Micah was going to talk about to do with Grush and everybody else, but I, I'm not going to steal your fire there, Micah. Um, for me, this year, 
I'm just finishing off my master's and I, I've decided that I'm going to pull the trigger on doing my doctorate as well. Wow. So, um, yeah, Dr. G. Dr. Dr. G is how yeah. that's going to be. <laughs> and um, last month I was elected as national coordinator for UAP investigations for ASAP. Who is the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomenon? Wow, that's pretty so, cool. Uh, yeah, Congratulations. Yeah. How long has ASAP been around? ASAP has been around, I'm going to say, since the 1700s. Uh, no, I think it's only about 1981 or something. But uh, <laughs> but it is a learned society, and I really like the sound of that. Is that an investigation into... A- yeah, we do investigations. We do uh, academic work. I've done none of that yet <laughs> because I'm just new in post, but it, it feels amazing. So about the master's and the doctorate, what fields are those going to be in? Uh, psychotherapy. Psychotherapy. All right. So I'm going to be focusing on the mental health of veterans and blue light responders. Oh, cool. With PTSD oh, and things like awesome. that. That's really cool. <clears throat> what about the rest of us? Do you have like Tuesday afternoons? No, open? you can go to hell, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> this group, I think, you know, we could keep you busy. I don't know for sure, but. <laughs> you might be right. Chris, how about you? What's your day job? You know, I know a little bit about your background, but you're you're a writer as well, right? Yeah, it was a lot cooler when we could say we were on strike. <laughs> I'm also putting all my money on 2024 <laughs> um, because I got my foot at the door in 2014 right as the streamers were starting. So I have never known a world without streamers mucking up the system and uh it was really frustrating when I realized that I was selling shows every year. I was making stuff. I, I have a writing partner, but even that wasn't enough to really make like a living at it. So when we went on strike, I was one of the many people who was like, yeah, we're either going on strike or this whole industry is going away because at least the younger generations having an impossible time. I was blessed to sell something every year. I couldn't imagine doing more than that and and feeling like I couldn't keep my head above water was uh, not great. But yeah, it's been exciting. Even since the strike ended, things seem like they've picked back up and I've got some hopefully big projects that'll maybe happen next year. But as Richard well knows, I mean, that's you can't count your chickens even after they hatch half the time. <laughs> right. <just> <laughs> They're born sickly. Yeah, they, there's an old saying, don't don't count your chickens until they clear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so we'll see. But uh, writing is usually in some form, writing is the day job. Yeah, right. And so you decided to make extra money, you're going to get into podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) When the podcast came up, we were still on strike. And we had no idea how long we were going to be on strike. And so of course, the week that we like recorded the first episode, I think the strike ended. So it became uh, a lot more work. But It is interesting for me, like, you know, I listen to a good number of podcasts and I've never kept track of how much that cuts into my movie or TV watching time. But, you know, there's definitely a shift. And and so I worked with Ed on a horror Christmas show that I ran for YouTube in 2016 called 12 Deadly Days that we did with Blumhouse. And Ed and I did that together. And I made a movie that came out last year. And of all the things that I've done, this podcast scared all the time has by far gotten the most attention (laughs) and had the most love given to it. And as someone who's always wanted to be a filmmaker, that's been an interesting twist in the story of, (laughs) oh, this is where the audience is. Right. The audience is not necessarily looking for an indie movie that came out this week. The audience is like looking for podcasts. And obviously launching on your guys' network has been a huge 
piece of that. And and we thank you guys so much for giving us that rocket boost. But really, it's been a really wild journey. You know, here's the thing. People, you know, the the geniuses, you know, running everything think that it's a, um, a zero-sum game of, well, if you're listening to a podcast, you're not watching TV, and we're all fighting for a seat at the table, and that's it's an infinite table. The people who are consuming are consuming everything. They're consuming yeah. movies and TV shows and podcasts and, and music and everything. And they're consuming audio podcasts sometimes at a time that would not be convenient to watch video. That's mm. right, true. And now it really is dealer's choice. I mean, you're just you're you're listening to the podcasts when you want, seeing the movies when you want, watching television when you want. And I think younger people, this is their whole life. They're not excited about going out into the world. They're excited about the world they curate for themselves mm. through the entertainment that they consume and they do it passionately. And at a certain point, advertisers will get even better at figuring out who is choosing what? Because the people who listen to stuff, the people who listen to Astonishing Legends and Jim's show and now Scared All the Time, these are very engaged listeners. These are not passive, you know, you don't just, right. you're not flipping channels. You're going, I want to hear that and I'm listening to it. I'm always so hopeful because as depressing as things are, the product is still desired. Yeah. Everyone around the world wants, in terms of TV, they want one hour storytelling and half hour comedies. They want that more than anything, and they want a hundred of them. They don't want eight. They want a hundred or two hundred. And podcasts, they don't want one episode. They want five hundred episodes, and, oh, and no. they all have time to consume them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, you just got four hundred ninety nine to go, Glad. Come on. <laughs> I've got twenty six hundred. If anybody wants them, there you go. I'll I mean, them. yeah, you either start in two thousand five, like Jim, or. As every podcaster here and, and producer of media will tell you, it's very difficult to start one, even harder to keep it going. And so my hands, uh, Scott and I, are, our hats off to everyone here who's at least done something and kept going, no matter if that's uh, writing or just creating. It's very rewarding, but very challenging, and it's hard to do when you could just do other stuff to pay the rent. You're also taking a risk. and But the rewards are great, and especially when people tell you that they very much enjoyed what you create. So hopefully that'll keep uh, Chris and Ed going for many, many years until we need them to work on our stuff. And then, of course, they have to drop I don't think drop I their have thing. any other ways to pay the rent anymore. I think what, what I used to do is well, done. Scott, You've burnt, Scott burned all the ships and his bridges. <laughs> I feel yeah. the same way. It's like I could not, I am an unemployable. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what have you done for the last uh, 12 years full time? Uh, I've uh, sat in a room and talked about Bigfoot and UFOs. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, what have as you, done? you should, sir, as you should. Yeah. But the point is, is that Forrest and Scott, congratulations for working with Ed and Chris and smart, newer minds. And, you know, I just, uh, I applaud what you've done. And I, I hope Ed and Chris, uh, I think they're going to have all the success with it. Partially because of their own talent and partially because of the backing of you guys. So congratulations. Oh, thanks, man. It's, yeah, thank you. Yeah, they, they clearly seem to have excellent taste. Yep. So. <laughs> yes, Ed, speaking of excellent taste, what what is that wine you're, uh, how shall I say, guzzling? I am not. This is day two of guzzling this wine. <laughs> um, it is a Trader Joe's exclusive. Oh. So, <laughs> two buck chuck. It is a Cote de Rhone. Oh, there you go. Toblerone? It's a, it's a Toblerone. They've just <laughs> they've just blended Toblerones and grapes, slammed them into a bottle, right. deemed it a wine. 
No, it's a Laurent de Blanc, oh, Cote okay. de Rhone, and uh, then a bunch of French. But it's delicious. But I brought a second bottle to the office with me. Oh. So I anticipate, you know, because yeah. this already opened last night, guys. I'm oh, not, okay. I'll finish this and then I'll okay. start the second. Well, it survived yeah, the night. A long show. So that's. Uh... Yeah, it survived the night. Ed, do people know your background as a writer as well? I don't I mean, most people know me as the mechanic, but I'm also a writer. Yes. I've written for live action and animation. Yeah. I, I've written on live action like The Last Man on Earth was there for a long time. I've written on animation like Rick and Morty and uh, the show Bless the Hearts and Clone High and then variety stuff like the movie awards and, and crap like that. So, yeah, I mean, I also loved having the strike as an excuse, but also love having the podcast now to bury me in work, like truly <laughs> bury me in work. Yeah, and I am, I'm developing a show with someone else from uh, the DC universe that – Rich may or may not know, but from the, like, not HBO, the Berlanti-verse, whatever. But it is, uh, so I'm staying busy with, like, a bunch of projects, and the podcast is overwhelmingly, it keeps me so busy. I could not believe the level of work. Producing good, what I think to be, like, at a level that I'm happy with, podcasting is, uh, I, my hat is off to all of you guys <laughs> who, who have been doing this. It's so nuts. It's so satisfying, yeah. right? It's so satisfying. Not like, the first day when we finish recording and I'm like, this is the, we're the worst. We are the worst. <laughs> but isn't it nice yeah. at the end of the day, you don't have somebody with like uh, Scott was talking about before with notes. Yeah. I mean, you have the control. Isn't that kind of nice? Well, the nice thing is, yeah, I do give them no opportunity to give notes. I'm like, like I said, I, <laughs> I'm like, here's your thing. It's, it's, it's releasing in 10 minutes. Yeah. Best of luck. But no, it is nice to have my own control. No notes. No boss. It's pretty good. But it's also sink or swim, you know, because you do feel like everything we've put out is it's up to us to also fail, you know. But we do have, like I said, great stewards in the Astonishing Legend. I did get to group. mark that 13-second gap of silence in the last one before it went You up. did. Yeah. It, was a, it was a very public <laughs> embarrassment for me. It was an artistic choice. It's like Paul Harvey. <laughs> used to, uh, you guys are too young to remember Paul Harvey. Oh, I remember Paul. <laughs> and Paul Harvey would say, now for news. And now you know. The rest of the story. Yeah, oh but then my God. Pause. I love that you guy. Need the big, long he would pause. pause a long time. Yes, he did. He did. So that's what it was, Ed. It was not a mistake. Yeah. It was an artistic choice. It was a audio vision board where if I leave space for advertisers, maybe they'll show up. <laughs> <laughs> the secret. The secret. There it is. Yeah. And also, there is no air I leave. Like, I cut every um and ah out of me and Chris. So it's like, yeah, I, I leave no air. So a gap <laughs> is, is pretty unusual. I think we're all cursed now. I'm going to be Paul Harvey the whole rest of the night. If I were the devil, <laughs> what I would do. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maxi, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now, back to the show. I know we're probably going to have a, a lot of discussion about it's been a busy year for UAP and stuff like that. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk briefly to Allison because she and her brother had a kind of an exciting adventure this year. Would you tell the listeners Ooh. what happened to you guys with your... Yeah. Because yeah, you, like you said, you got the ghost wash. You got towards seven states in Puerto Rico. That's it's right. It's a big operation. So what were you up to uh, recently with regard to that? Yeah, well, um, we were just really enthused when Shark Tank reached out to us. We had never considered really having outside investors, but it's a bit of like when... In Ghostbusters, you know, uh, when Ray is asked, 
are you a god? Yeah. You're supposed to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when Shark Tank asks you to be on, yeah. you say yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we did. They uh, wanted to have their first official Halloween show. And so they were looking for Halloween type businesses. And so they actually reached out to us. And I can't tell you anything about the process because. Uh, Is there an NDA on that? It's <laughs> yes. really you can't so oh, now yes. that even though it's over and it's aired you can't talk about what it's like what the process is like yeah, yeah. because it's kind of like fight club yeah I mean, <laughs> and that's and i think the lawyer even quoted fight club oh maybe i shouldn't have said that oh no Uh-oh. <laughs> broken the end yeah Violation. <laughs> oh man i didn't see that did you win well she can't no, tell you but um <laughs> <laughs> I can tell people now that uh, it has aired. It aired on uh, the 27th of October, which is a little late for us in the season, although we do have year-round destinations too. Yeah, we're happy for any bump that we get. So really winning was airing. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is how people have this idea of of these rich and famous people. <laughs> and, you know, if you get a deal, like you've made it. And for me. I think that would have been problematic if we had gotten a deal. Right. Because, you know, I think if someone's rich and famous, you should probably run the other way. You don't know when, you want not want to know how they got that way. <laughs> <laughs> Just my opinion. I love the presentation. I thought you and your brother were great. I really enjoyed that episode and watching it. Oh, can, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, and you can all watch it on Hulu and see how entertaining we really are. <laughs> I haven't actually watched it yet, though. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's kind of awkward to watch yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't listen to our own show if I didn't have to make sure it didn't have 15-second silence gaps in it. So Unbelievable. <laughs> That's weird, Allison. I actually only listen to podcasts where I am the guest. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks, Rich. That tracks. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel that the sharks are a little nicer in person than they're made out to be on TV? Actually... No. <laughs> in the case of actually no. No, no, in the case of Kevin O'Leary, I was really surprised. He was really listening. Oh. I felt like the other ones were just yawning because <laughs> um we, we we were on after lunch. So I was like, "Oh." <laughs> so they were all like in their carb comas and then <laughs> Carb Conos, like Mark Cuban is like, like, come on, dude. When they used to do match game back in the 70s, they said that they would all have like a liquid lunch. So they would all come back a little bit tipsy. So, but maybe that's like a a, a bygone era, you know? Yeah, they seem pretty sober, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, But I think I can reveal, well, I don't know, we'll see, that, I mean, you don't get to like hang out with them in the green room or anything. Mm -hmm. It's like there's your stage manager and your stage manager just says, go. And that's what you get to do. You don't get to like hang out and at the water cooler with any of them or anything like that. Yeah, so I was really impressed with uh, Mr. Wonderful. He was quite wonderful to us. And I I expected from watching the show a little bit because I hadn't actually watched a show beforehand, like ever. But then when they called us, I'm like, well, I better watch the show and see what it's like. And, you know, I thought I'd be the most diametrically opposed to Kevin, really. Like, it would be like a Captain Kirk and the Gorn type situation. <laughs> <laughs> and it really wasn't anything like that. Yeah. 
he really listened and uh and I felt like we got some good advice. May and maybe you can't talk about the if they told you not to answer this question, I guess don't, but like I, I actually would be curious how long your presentation actually is versus what winds up on the air. Yeah, I don't know if I'm not supposed to say that. Okay. I yeah as a former editor, I you know, I see stuff happening. I'm always just like, no, I think they're, you know, whatever. Plus they're picking and choosing their comments based on the outcome down the road or whatever. Yeah, I mean, part of not watching it is being afraid of the editing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, great. You know, what is this actually going to look like? Here's a little known fact. It turns out that Forrest and I actually are backers of Shark Tank. Ed, do you have that picture of when Shark Tank came to us (laughs) for funding? Um, So that's when (laughs) uh, (laughs) people who are listening can't see this, but it's me and Forrest with Mr. Cuban. And, uh, you know, it it was a very warm, inviting moment where I think no words were actually exchanged, but uh, <laughs> no, he did. No, he was a nice uh, no, he's guy. Very, he's a nice guy. No, yeah. he's a very nice guy. And, and I will say about him with celebrities and people who are on the screen, small or big, they don't have to hang out or be nice to you at all. And uh, <laughs> yeah. people can lay fault with them, but they don't realize what it's like to be somebody like Mark Cuban, where everybody's coming up to you. And trying to pitch you something like, I got a great idea. And then, uh, you know, they don't. uh, Yeah. The thing is, they don't have to make their time available to you at all. He showed up. This was at Podcast Movement in Nashville a couple of few years ago. And he went around to everybody in the room and he introduced himself and he shook our hands, although it was a COVID hot box at that time. But we, uh, he was very <laughs> yeah, nice. That was kind of shocking because Delta was like prominent at that point. And we were in this tiny like VIP room at the back of a restaurant yeah. in Nashville because he was backing another platform, one of those live audio platforms. You know, Fireside. Like yeah, Fireside. Fireside. And yeah. we were, you know, loosely associated with that at the time. And, uh, but we, yeah, we were all in this tiny room with him and like, 60 other people, but, but he was, like I said, he doesn't have to do that. And he just, he made it a point to take pictures with everybody that wanted one and shook our hands and, and, and got to know our names. And I have friends who have been in a situation like that, where they were supposed to interact with a celebrity and it's like, all right, get around and they get a picture like, okay, that's great. And then they turned, literally just walked away and not said another word to the person. One of my favorite stories, and I won't say who this guy was, but along, you know, my wife was in the Groundlings way back in the day, and this guy had a movie come out that didn't go very far, and you wouldn't remember him or know his name, but he was on The Tonight Show with Leno. And um, as it went to commercial, Leno obviously just did not care. It was a forced plug, having him on, everything. It went to commercial, and Leno leaned into this guy that... (laughs) from the, that we know. And as it was going to commercial, he just went, it wasn't real words at all. And then as soon as it cut, he just turned around. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) Just like, okay. We found out later Jay Lennon was having a stroke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Man, I've seen him at a few car shows. Man, I saw him at a few car shows in LA, just always that denim outfit. It's like, no, no, thank you. I also have a good Jay Leno story. I mean, for the for the strikers and us. Remember Jay Leno came out in like day one with a box of donuts and it was like this huge deal. And then Drew Carey bought everyone's food for the next like year. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, it was like, yeah, a little, wow. little too little Drew for a Carey guy. From Cleveland. Yeah. From Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a he's a sweetheart and a champion, but it is funny that a guy who keeps saying he hasn't quote touched yeah. the Tonight Show money yet. Brought a box of donuts. Thanks, bud. Well, so let's talk about, there's a lot that's happened in this past year. And one thing I know that several of us might have some input on and interest in is the UAP situation and the UFO situation. There's been a lot going down there. 
I haven't been able to keep up with it anymore. I used to be able to stay on top of this, but there's so many headlines and things coming out every day. Dave Grush seems to be on some insane publicity tour. Like I can't even watch all the media he's creating. Mike, are you staying on top of that? Like I want to hear what everyone has to say about where this is at right now. Also about the Mexican aliens. They're not Mexican. They're Peruvian and they were illegally transported to Mexico, I think. But <laughs> presumably they're neither. Presumably they're aliens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't speak to those little mummies. <laughs> yeah. uh, I could. I just know that's kind of controversial. So I will abstain yeah. to the men from Delaware. But uh, in other <laughs> words, I mean, I mean, the whole Grush thing is really more interesting, uh, in mm. my opinion. Now, granted, the backstory behind the story, really, last spring, I had attended a conference in Huntsville, Rocket City, Alabama. This was at the uh, Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies conference down there. Little did I know Grush was right there in the room with us. Oh, okay. I mean, he had actually been there. Now, there were others who at that time they hadn't come out. They have since, and I can name some of those individuals. Jay Stratton, who was the director of the UAP task force. You know, Travis Taylor, of course, who we all see on uh, Skinwalker Ranch on, on history and also ancient aliens and some of these programs. There were a lot of people and a whole lot of scientists who are not publicly involved in all this. At that time, Grush was one of those people you know, a former intelligence analyst. He'd worked with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. He had not come out publicly. It was quite interesting to find out that he had been sitting right there in that room as a obviously an interested party in all of this and someone who seemingly knew a whole lot more than most folks in that room with regard to what extent the U.S. government had dealings with this topic and the deeper history of that. Something that, again, and I know you know, folks like Paul here and, and many of you, you know, Jim, with many of the interviews you've done over the years, same goes for you. And really, I think everyone here, we've heard these rumors for a long time about non-human craft, recoveries of crashed vehicles, even biologics and things like this. But none of that entered the public lexicon until this year. Yeah. That was the huge development. I mean, again, I, I jokingly say the debrief has published a couple of stories, but really, I don't think there's ever been anything as big as Back on June 5th, when Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal featured in our publication this article that brought to the world for the first time this story of David Charles Grush. With regard to his current media tour, even having gone through that vetting process, keep in mind, I'm the editor-in-chief, so I'm responsible for overseeing all aspects of that before it actually goes to print, you know, so to speak, digitally on Monday morning at 8 a.m. And we drop that story and try to keep the traffic going on the servers and everything while we're being inundated Seeing Grush more recently doing some of these additional interviews, especially the recent one with Joe Rogan, has provided additional context for a lot of these claims that in the original debrief article, also in the interview he did with Ross Coulthard for News Nation, excellent long-form interview. But now that we're seeing this kind of unscripted, off-the-cuff, here's how I did this, here's how I went about this, here's what some of these officials said, here's what I can say, what I can't say, but really... In some total, yeah, there's been stuff about this, basically everything we've all heard rumors about for 70 years or more, and this has been illegally withheld from Congress and, of course, withheld from the American people. My brother Caleb and I were talking about this earlier tonight. If you'd asked me about this so little as maybe a year or two ago, to what extent do you really think the government has been withholding this kind of information from the American public in the world? You know, I might have said, well, I mean, there's probably some truth to it, but the majority, I don't know. But now with Grush coming out and talking about this, I do find him to be a sincere, a credible witness. His intelligence community inspector general complaint that was filed, which was really, to me, the, the real core crux of the story from back in June, that also was deemed credible and urgent. 
So, I mean, there are so many factors here that are worthy of consideration, but it does seem to lend some justification to the idea that a lot of these stories we've heard for years, and we weren't really able to corroborate with any kind of facts, any kind of physical evidence, we're still sort of at that point. But to me, they've been elevated now in a way and in a credible fashion that seems to strongly point to the idea that if there's this much smoke, there's got to be some fire. And that's kind of where I am on all this. And I do find Grush extremely credible. I do think that uh, we have to wait and see what the results, if there are results of this ICIG uh, investigation. I hope that all comes forward. But again, I mean, look at what some of the results of this have been. I mean, we've had congressional hearings. We've had legislation. Right now, there's literally a battle going yeah. on this moment yeah. on Capitol Hill about all of this. And it's yet to be seen how this is all going to shake out. But I mean, it's a very extraordinary time, not just for scientists, not just for lawmakers. This is an extraordinary time for humankind because if what Grush has said is true, and if indeed there is evidence of non-human technology here on planet Earth, and those non-human intelligences have brought it here and perhaps are operating here on this planet, I mean, this is going to be the biggest story in humankind. Yeah, in history. May I bring up a point? Yeah. The fact that you have people like Mike Rogers and Mike Turner in Congress yeah. trying to block this amendment, the Schumer Amendment. Insanity. You Birch, yeah, you have Burchett coming out with his own amendment, Tim Burchett. Yeah. Isn't the fact that some powerful people are trying to block this legislation in and of itself kind of disclosure without disclosure in the sense of why would you fight so damned hard to block something? So what if they're just doing it because it's the ultimate cover for new tech development and all that kind of stuff, and they want to keep that yeah. in place for national security reasons? I think that's what they want you to believe. Yeah. What Jim's talking about is very important right there. I mean, think about this. Mike Turner right there, yeah. okay, in his district, you've got Wright-Patterson Air Force yes. Base, which was the home of Project Blue Book way back in the 1950s and 60s, still the longest running government study of all this, the systematic study of UAP back in those days, they were called UFOs. You've got Mike Rogers down there in Alabama in his district, Redstone Arsenal. Rogers is the largest single recipient in Congress of aerospace and defense funding to his campaigns. Turner's not far behind him. In fact, there was an article we did at the debrief the other day where there's a nice chart from opensecrets.org that breaks down. I think Turner was in the top five. Rogers was at the top of the list. The issue to me really is this. These guys do appear to be trying to block this, probably for partisan reasons. But there is also, if I were to be a conspiracy theorist, I would say that they probably have vested interests in blocking this based on their financial backers. That's, I think, what Tim, uh, what uh, Jim is saying. Yeah. And also, you add to that the partisan bickering where we have Chuck Schumer, again, the Senate Majority Leader and a Democrat, who passes a 64-page act as an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2024, Probably the single most significant legislation the world has ever seen involving UAP. Right. Mm. And we've got Republicans trying to shoot that down. Now, I'm not being partisan here because we've also got Republicans trying to put their own amendment in there in the House. Yeah, the problem yeah. is that both sides don't seem to be able to agree on this. I'm thinking to myself, we've done really well on the bipartisan front up to this point. Are we really going to recognize this moment, as pivotal as it is, as the one where we're going to start fighting, bickering, and we're going to lose everything because we couldn't agree on something. Yeah. I believe, and I totally lifted this from UFO Twitter, so credit <laughs> to them. But I saw a phrase I totally agree with. There are people in Washington that want Blue Book 3.0. Right. That's what they want. They want, oh, we're looking into this. We're looking into this. 
nothing to see here. They want to just do the same thing that was done in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And they just want to recreate it again, just like they've done with the JFK assassination records. Right. Mm -hmm. right. They keep, well, we can't release this. We can't release that because it will uh, somehow reveal our methods and sources from 1963. I don't think so. Yeah. You're hiding something. Same with this. They want to create Blue Book 3.0. And I agree with Micah. There are powerful aerospace companies and so forth that contributed to these senators. And uh, they're just heeding their masters. That's what I think is going on. And yeah. I remain somewhat pessimistic about disclosure. And I'm more convinced ever because of this. That there is something to disclose. Right. Yes. I mean, Micah, you know, from us doing the shows together, you know, we would go back and forth. But one day I'm like, yeah, there's something to it. And the next day I'd be like, oh, I'm not sure there's something to it. I'm absolutely sure there's something to it now because they're trying too hard to cover it up. Just I agree. My yeah, my, my whole outlook on this has changed. And again, Jim and I, back in the day, I was host 2.0 after Clayton Morris. But, you know, Jim and I did the uh, Paranormal Report. Every week we would try and find videos of UAP or, and I was actually calling them UAP way back then, but I mean, nowadays that's the very common nomenclature, but all other kinds of paranormal phenomena. And yes, Jim and I always tried to balance out belief versus skepticism mm -hmm. and approach this in a balanced way. Yes. If I'm less balanced on the UAP topic, now it's because of all the scientists, all of the government officials, you know, all of the eyewitnesses. And I've actually been putting together slowly. I haven't officially launched this yet, but I've got a UAP science project that I'm doing that involves collecting data from eyewitnesses. And I'm going to tell you that right there, very much like Jim Harold's campfire. I mean, it is getting those stories from those individuals and hearing their firsthand accounts. Some of them are absolutely hair raising. That's what's really solidified it for me. And then I, after hearing these stories of people who time and time again, see these massive black triangles flying in the sky, or they observe these metallic spheres that are hovering and that they're moving in very unusual ways, certainly not like balloons or little orbs of light that kind of run up to their window at night or something and scan them. I mean, I hear all of these patterns in these mm -hmm. stories. And then, then I hear these government officials describing very, you know, very similar things. David Grush interviewed a naval officer who saw one of these big triangles. Right now, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which is the official office within the DOD that investigates these things, they describe the outgoing director, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, currently. He'll be gone after this month. But, I mean, he describes mm -hmm. the target package of the UAP that they're looking for as these metallic spheres. Again, I hear these things from people all the time, and it really makes me look at the official kind of information that's been coming out and say, my gosh, they aren't the only ones that are looking into this, and this is nothing new. Those of us who have been studying this stuff for years, Jim and I, we were seeing this stuff back in the day when we were preparing for our podcast every week. Mm -hmm. So again, yeah. if anything, it's a bit of vindication for what we felt all along. But now, like you said, Jim, I feel stronger than ever that there is a there there. And if anything, this is probably coming to a head probably in the next few years. When, when I was taught to look at people and see what's going on with them, the one thing that one of my instructors said was, is don't look directly at the person, use your peripheral vision and look at what's going on around them and read the tea leaves of the stuff that's going on around that person. So if you look at Grush and they're spending an awful lot of time, an awful lot of effort trying to close down somebody that they're calling a liar you don't close mm -hmm. down a vacuum you don't try and shut down a vacuum but for me the most telling thing is look who his lawyer is yeah his lawyer is a former igic yeah and 
if he was telling lies, yeah, his lawyer would be some guy out of an office in Pahrump somewhere. Yeah. 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 He, he's, <laughs> I, I can't remember the guy's name now, but, um, you know, he's, he's got a former Charles McCullough. It's Charles McCullough. I met him last month and I'm going to yeah. tell you that guy, he obviously with the depth of knowledge he has about this, Paul, he obviously takes this story extremely seriously as one yeah. would expect as he is representing yeah. David Grush. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that you've got a former inspector general of the intelligence community acting for the whistleblower. Yeah. If he knew that Grush was lying. He's not doing himself any favors at all. So the fact that he's involved, I think, is incredibly telling. Did he ever get into that skiff or that got waylaid? I think there has been some skiff activity. Okay, yeah. so he's supposedly, and he's, are congressional members in there with him in the skiff and he's giving them the information he couldn't give in the hearing, in the public hearing? Has that happened? I believe so. I'm not sure that it's to the extent, you know, of course, yeah. that everybody had hoped for. The situation, my understanding about that since, I mean, the story broke really had been this. Grush, of course, after he left government and he officially files this complaint, it limits inherently the degree to which he is able to communicate with, for instance, members of Congress about classified information for one simple reason, because after he leaves government, he's effectively read out of those programs. He's not allowed to discuss those kinds of issues. And there were congressional staffers who my team and I spoke with who even had said, the problem is that there's going to be a limitation to how much communication he can have directly with members of Congress. Now, that is not to say, of course, that he can't go and sit there and he can talk under oath as he did back in July, along with Dave Fravor and with uh, Ryan Graves when they spoke uh, you know, before the committee. But you'll notice that he's very careful about what he says. And naturally also says that, you know, in a classified setting, in a secure environment, I can talk about some of those things. So I still understand that there are some limitations and that to the full extent that everybody wants to know, you know, tell us all about, you know, what you've learned, you know, what you've supplied the uh, intelligence community inspector general. I don't think that it's to the full extent yet that Congress, certain interested members of Congress would want. I hope we'll get to that point. But another relevant point, and I'll just throw this in there really quickly too. Grush under oath said back in July that he had interviewed some 40 individuals who had knowledge of a program within the United States government involving crash retrievals, and these, again, related to exotic craft. Although he's been fairly vague about it, not Grush, but Sean Kirkpatrick, the current director of the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Kirkpatrick has said that there have been at least 30 or so individuals, many of whom he believes are the same ones that Grush spoke with, who have now gone and they have spoken to Arrow. And there was that whistleblower provision in the National Defense Authorization Act that passed last year, which is for fiscal year 2023. That portion of the NDAA protects whistleblowers from any kind of reprisals if they come forward and talk about this, hence why they and also why Grush were able to come forward and talk about this in the first place. So Although there are certain limitations in terms of what Grush and to what degree Grush has provided additional information, apart from the hundreds of pages of classified uh, documents that he said that he offered to the uh, ICIG, we have had some of the people that Grush spoke with who have also gone directly to Arrow and provided their testimony. So something I'm really interested in is I believe by the end of the year, we're supposed to see phase one of this historical review that Arrow has carried out. And then by next June or July, maybe sometime mid next year, we're going to be seeing the second phase of that, uh, which is a historical review that should incorporate some of that kind of information. Now, I don't know to what extent it's going to really give us a detailed view of any kind of government programs and the kinds of things that Grush has been talking about, because I suspect a lot of that would have to be classified. A lot of it would have to be extremely compartmentalized. A lot would have existed in special access programs. 
but it could be the case that we will hear some things. And so again, the, the most relevant point to me here is the fact that those people Grush said he spoke to, many of them have gone to Arrow and have provided information too. These people, are they all liars? Is this all a big psyop? Or are these people like Grush seems to believe telling an actual story and, and are speaking about something they have direct knowledge of, or at least that they know of and that they feel that they can corroborate? I, I think, again, that seems to be corroborated in itself by decades and decades of stories that we have heard from similar people, whistleblowers, civilian workers, and others who have said, yeah, there's been something going on that the American public's been kept in the dark about. I've been fascinated since, I mean, I've been a UFO freak since I was a kid, but I couldn't believe when the New York Times stories came out. I can't believe that we had Grush in front of Congress. Is Like, if you told me that when I was a kid, I would have thought you were crazy. But so here's one of my many, many, many questions. Do you think that if the Schumer Amendment goes down and or if the Burchett Amendment goes down, do you think we'll see a Snowden-style leak of some of this information from somebody? Because it seems like if Snowden's leaking stuff about, you know, the surveillance abilities that our government has, someone's got to have access to this on a drive somewhere about UAP or something, right? Interestingly, Snowden said he never saw any kind of data about UAP. But then again, one might also right. say, but it depends a lot on where you go and look. If you know where to look... Again, think about those three historical Navy videos that came yeah. out in 2017, one of which had already been out there in the wild for years, the other two which were new, but they were actually, they weren't classified. They were actually characterized, I guess, as, you know, unofficial or, or rather for uh, special use only, I think, unclassified for special use only. Now, there was a, a investigation by the Air Force Office of Special Investigations to make sure that there wasn't a leak of any kind of sensitive information. And it was deemed that that had not occurred and that those videos later were actually able to be released. And then they were officially re-released by the DOD in 2020, if you recall. So leaks do occur. And Chris, one could hope that there will be more significant leaks. But right now, again, I can only speculate about that like, like anybody else. The problem, I think, and the real issue, and this coming back to what Jim was talking about, it ain't looking likely that the Schumer Amendment is going to pass or that some version in the House or the Senate right. that involves true, serious, honest, legitimate UAP disclosure. It doesn't look like that's going to make it into the NDAA this year. So, I mean, the onus may be on the academic community, on scientists, on former government officials, policymakers, and people who are willing to work in the civilian sector. And I just attended an event out at Stanford University, the Soul Foundation's inaugural event. That is exactly what everybody at that event is working toward, trying to lay the groundwork on, in the public sector to facilitate that eventuality. Because whether it's through a leak like you're asking about or whether it's through legislation, eventually the truth, we hope, is going to come out. I hope so. I, I mean, I feel like we're so close. I feel like we're right there. But also, right there is my time to go. So thank Chris, you guys so much us. for having me. Thank you. Cheers. Happy holidays. Listen to Scared all the time. You are very disturbing. <laughs> I love this. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to listen. Love to hear it. All right. Happy holidays, guys. Right. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bro. I'll see you all Take later. Care, Bye. A short walk through the woods and the old cemetery. Welcome, dear guest, to the Midnight Library. There's rumors of monsters, of demons, and magic. So don't wander the halls, cause your loss would be tragic. They say our behavior is dark and nefarious. 
so it's best that you stay in the cordoned-off areas. Your visit will be chilling, but in the nicest way. Just wait till you see the hospitality tray. Please follow Mr. Darling to the reading room for stories of terror, of mystery and doom. Ms. Merrick holds readings on things most be dreaded, from witch bottles to banshees and the freshly beheaded, a short walk through the woods and the old cemetery. We bid you welcome to the Midnight Library. We in? Is it going? Uh, yeah, I don't. I think so. I think the. I don't know how long this feed's gonna hold, but I think we're in. We hacked the feed. We just turns out. Okay, great. We should get started then. Scared all the time. It's a podcast about things that scare us. Whoa! What are you doing? I'm making a trailer. They asked for a trailer. Like, got my trailer music. Doing my trailer voice. No, yeah, that's <laughs> that's false advertising. We're just a couple of idiots talking about things that scare us. This kind of seems like overkill. Maybe you should go for something spookier, like something scary. Okay, fine. Scared All the Time is a podcast about things that scare us. No, that's too scary. Okay, well, I only have one more piece of music. This will have to do. I'm Chris Kalari. And I'm Ed Vicola. And every week, we're going to take a look at something new that scares us and why. Uh, like this trailer going over a minute. Yeah, they said we definitely should not do that. Join us for season one of Scared All the Time. A brand new show from Astonishing Legends. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Orson Scott, thank you for supporting their sponsors. I'm Isaiah. Now back to the show. So I haven't seen the Call Hard interview yet either. I didn't. I haven't heard Joe Rogan yet. I'm, all this stuff is going to happen at Christmas when there's no show for us to produce. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to just like zoning out and listening to all this stuff. What I, I'm curious though about some of the stuff that's been said, and this is getting into the speculative arena. So I know we're getting a little bit away from where you're at, Micah. But like, if, I feel like I've been reading things here and there on you know UFOB on Twitter as well as um, on Reddit some about the nature of beings and like how the grays are not that's a suit and there's something else inside of it and that also it's a kind of drone or a biological drone that's been put into a suit and sent here to do work and that the crafts i think you're talking about philip j corso talking about oh it's corso. He had been at least one individual yeah corso yeah. had said that these seem to be engineered biological organisms and again that was just what he said and if that is true we have no way of knowing right. And he had said on a couple of occasions during interviews on Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM, one where he was accompanied by John Alexander. Right. And he had said, yeah, these were engineered kind of organisms that were designed to be able to pilot these craft and withstand the rigors of space travel. I think that's what you're referring to. That is what, yeah. So the other idea that's sort of freaky about that is that whatever is sending that stuff here isn't here at all. If these are all just they're drones. They're just drones being biological and mechanical or whatever, but the force behind them is is not is a long way from being present. So who are the operators? So if we're talking about wild theories, I interviewed a gentleman two or three times, and he was, one thing I can say about him, he was very intelligent, and he was very convinced of his theory. And he's passed away since, unfortunately, relatively recently in the last year or two. His name is Nigel Kerner. And he was convinced 
that, quote, the aliens, the greys or whoever they were, were some non-biological, or at least their their overlords were non-biological, and they were somehow trying to tap into something that we had that they don't, and that is souls. Yeah, mm. I've heard this as now, well. Now, again, yeah. that is kind of out there, but boy, if you would talk to Nigel, I mean, he would get vociferous about it. He was convinced of it. Now, I'm not saying he's right, but he felt that these were mechanical. And now we talk about, and I know, Scott, it's uh, something you're really following very closely, AI. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he felt that they were after something that we had that they did not have, and that is souls. 21 grams. Wild theory, but that is one theory that's out there. Well, there's different levels. And I've said this on the show before, is that we're most comfortable or going to have to comfort ourselves in thinking about this in stages. And the one part is that it's mechanical, nuts and bolts. Okay, so we can agree that there are things flying around that we don't know what they are, and that's readily admitted. But they're machines. Even if they're robotic, then it is a little easier for us to deal with. The second level is not so easy, and that is some creatures, whatever you want to call them, are making these things and flying them around, and obviously they have much greater power than we do. What do we have that they could possibly want? Well, there's only two things. It's either our biological aspect of us, our DNA, they have goofed up their own, or they're on some kind of trajectory where they're not getting healthier, or they're they're headed towards extinction. So we're useful in that regard because uh, it's as much, for as much as we do to ourselves physically, and emotionally, we are still a good source of meat and DNA. I'm going to put that in my <laughs> online dating man. profile. To serve man. <laughs> to serve man. It's, uh, well, it's all the hybrid thing. And it's, it, it's so many abductees. It's like they have the same story. And that might be some collective psychological thing. Who knows? I think that's what uh, Dr. John Mack was trying to look into. What's going on here? Why is it so matching everything? The end game of this comes down to what we have to offer, and that is consciousness. And then you can get into the Mandela effect yeah. rabbit hole, but <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I want to interject here, and it's just amazing how easy it is to get into the weeds. And you know, I like yes. you know Forrest's idea of stages. I think we're in stage one, and uh, it's exciting. I'm I am so excited about all the hearings, and you know, I'm behind because of October as well. So I'm excited to hear that all these shows are available that that I can watch uh, during the holiday season. That's like Christmas for me. <laughs> but what I'm thinking about in terms of getting in the weeds, what I want to hear from our, our three UFO guys here is two things. Where do you think 2024 will take us? Are we going to go back? Is it going to be a cyclical and we're going to have another Project Blue Book, and then somehow it's all going to get put away and ridiculed some more? Or is it going to be a cyclical kind of thing? How is this going to play out? I, you know, I, I want your predictions. And I also want to know about what you think about disinformation entering into this, because you never know what you don't know. But, you know, I'm always trying to anticipate what part of this is disinformation? What is fooling me right now? And I don't even know I'm being fooled. So those are some big questions, but what do you think is ahead, you guys? And what do you think we have to watch out for in terms of disinformation? I, I think you're going to get disclosure by force, Alison. 
I, I don't think you're going to get disclosure from the government. I suspect that if the Schumer amendment gets shot down and any of the other amendments get shot down as well, I don't think it's going to make a big difference in the long term. I think in the short term, it will frustrate people, especially people who have got um, interests in money, etc. I am very interested in what I see as a new paradigm in journalism, where you look at the Ross Coulthards of this world, um, Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp, Bryce Sable, and many others who are very similar, is that actually they've kind of got their hands around the throat of this now. And even though they're playing a very careful game about what they say on the podcast and things like that, and I'm I'm not going to put words into their mouths, but they clearly know more than what they're allowed to say or what they feel is safe to say. So I think that if the politicians don't do the right thing, I think you're going to see it coming out one way or the other. And it might be bit by bit, because of the compartmented nature of intelligence. But I I suspect that there's at least more than one faction involved in this behind the scenes in the government, those who actually want disclosure and those who don't. And there's kind of an internal, I think warfare might be a strong word, but there's definitely an internal conflict within some governmental departments, especially in the US rather than over here, Mm. where actually you will have a faction who want the information to come out, which I I think clearly is the case. And clearly, again, you've got a, a faction who don't want it to come out. And I think with the journalistic interest that's going on and the standard of journalism that's going on, I think it's going to come out despite what the politicians want. Paul, I just want to interject too. And, you know, we've been focusing on what's been going on in the U.S. And is there anything uh, in terms of disclosure happening in the U.K. that we might have missed? Uh, No, it's basically being ignored. Well, here's a comment from Flint. Think People think it will reveal more than it actually will. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to think. You know what I was just thinking about? Yeah, the Corso, it was Corso was the source for that concept. That was not something I had heard before. Micah, thanks for putting his name to that. And just the idea that these are all just different mechanisms, biological or not, and they're all being manipulated or sent here by something else. And then to just tonight in the course of this conversation, the other thing that's interesting to me is like, here we are at this exact moment because all this disclosure stuff is happening. We're desperately, as Jim said, I'm fascinated with AI. We love uh, playing around with it and all this kind of stuff. And Allison and I have talked about that too offline. The AI stuff's fun. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that's interesting to me is like, here we are, we're, we're trying to get to this point where we might have sentient artificial intelligence or, you know, AGI they're talking about. There's some rumors that uh, that's what OpenAI had developed and however they were about to deal with that is what led to the whole uh, dust yeah. up with Sam Altman. Going, that was my theory. Yeah, going away and coming back. <laughs> and now, of course, that's also a great press release if you're, you know, if you're an investor. So, like, who who knows where all that is? But was it, wasn't it funny that we're sitting here trying to get the computers to act like people, then maybe these things that are coming down here started out as computers and they're trying to get to souls it's like we're cross it's an x we're crossing paths <laughs> that's really well said <laughs> that's what the one uh molecular biologist was claiming and that possibly spurious possibly true reddit thread was that their end goal is what we're talking about with consciousness it's apotheosis it is this higher next level and they have not yet been able to crack that if you believe the people that have uh, their abduction stories, they're not perfect. I think we assumed, you know, that's the whole argument like, well, why would we have crashed craft? These people are actually obviously very much more advanced than us. 
But again, I think that's simplistic thinking and that no one's perfect, including <laughs> including whatever's coming from another dimension or planet. But what the end goal is, is something not mechanical, perhaps a hybrid of, again, being aided by technology, but it is the one thing that's universal, and that is perhaps, I think, consciousness. Oh, so maybe these things are are all biological and just super advanced, and and also they have a crossover between biology and technology, all of that kind of stuff, but then they evolved in such a way that they don't have what they consider a soul. Like, it just didn't happen on their biological timeline. So now they're here, and we're like, mm. how, how come these guys have this and we don't? But that's what you say about, I've heard, uh, you know, again, it crosses all genres, which I find utterly fascinating in that this is what mediums, uh, psychic mediums have talked about. What do spirits on the other side see of us in our role? Why do they care about us? Why are they so interested? Why do they scare us and show up at the foot of our beds dressed in fedoras and and, and do all these kind of all freaky right. things that they yeah, plan man. to do? And uh, aside from the fear and this and that is that, it's one of my favorite things, and I think I heard it, it's either on uh, Jim Harold's uh, Paranormal Podcast or it was Coast to Coast, equally, I think, in my opinion, uh, two great shows. But, oh, it, yeah, of course, and I think it was a psychic meeting saying, well, why they're interested in us or they're curious at all is that you have to look at us as sources of energy, and they're two different kinds. Us on Earth, yes, we're dumb, we're crude, uh, we, we do, we have silly pursuits, we say stupid things. Some of us seem to evolve. Some of us are just starting out uh, at a very low energy frequency, vibrational kind of thing. And others are trying to get Can higher. I use that as a pull quote for scared all the time? There Everything you go. You low said. vibrational, uh, you know, <laughs> knuckle dragging. But we're also very vibrant. If you, as the psychic medium said, if you were on the other side, imagine it like this, in that human beings and our energy and our soul energy is, it's like a flashlight. It's a very bright beam it's very narrow. It does travel, but not that far. If you're on the other side uh, in the spirit world, it's more like moonlight in that it's everywhere. It's pervasive. You can go anywhere. The, the moon is bathing its light. You know, that includes time and space, but it's also very faint. It's very weak. And so on the other side, they're attracted to our the intensity of our bright light and uh, our soul energy, if you want to say, but you know that's what attracts them because it's something that they cannot get anymore. They've mm -hmm, lost that mm -hmm. and they yearn yeah. for that. And when they get near it, it's like being charged up. It's like, why do flashlights and batteries die in haunted houses all the time? I'm not thinking that they're always playing a prank. I'm thinking that they're getting a, a juice out of it. They're getting a little a goose, a charge, and it's exhilarating. And it's something that they they yearn for yet cannot have anymore. And, and maybe the ETs are just like that. Just a thought, along with what Paul was saying, because I think he said it very well, I would use an American football analogy, and then I'll I'll cede the floor to Mr. Hanks, because he's probably closer to this story. <laughs> he is closer to the story than any of us. But I think what we all want is people who want the truth. We want to know what's really going on. If there's nothing, we want to know. I mean, that's the way I am. I'm not like, oh, it's the aliens or nothing. If there's nothing to it, I want to know there's nothing. If there's something, I want to know there's something. And we all want our team, 
you know, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, so I'll use an American football analogy. We're very long suffering, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey, don't laugh, Scott. You've got the pants. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, this <laughs> is like anyone Excuse outside me. of the top Excuse four. Me. Anyway. That's me too. Okay. Uh, yeah, but that's anyway. true. And I, and I don't even really follow football, but I know they are uh, not yeah, doing yeah. so anyway, great. I'm, I'm from anyway, Connecticut. Anyway, we don't even have a team. I just had to get that. <laughs> Hey, you know, we can't pick on many people in Cleveland, so we got to pick on someone. Go for so, it. Go so, for it, man. But anyway, I think, you know, we're on a 30-yard line right now. And most of us who want the truth, we want the 70-yard bomb. We want the instant touchdown. And that's what the Schumer legislation, that was kind of the promise that was held out. We're going to get disclosure right now. But I think to Paul's point that it's going to be much more like the old San Francisco 49ers for those of those of a certain age. And they wouldn't get, occasionally they get the 70 yard bomb, but more or less they just like 10, the West coast offense, they get 10, 15 yards, 10, 15 yards, chuck it down the field. And all of a sudden you got a touchdown. And I apologize to Paul for all the American football analogies. But anyway, <laughs> he doesn't know what's going the on. The point being, I think that's where we're at. We're not just stuck on the 30 yard line anymore. Yeah. I think there is, some cause for optimism. Yeah. And I think we're going to chunk it down the field, but I don't, I don't think we're going to get that 70 yard bomb. Yeah. And I, I wish we would get that. I wish that we would get that instant answer and like, yeah, it's real. And, and like the daily mail reported recently, the, the CIA is in possession of nine NHI craft. I mean, that would be great if we get verification of that, but I think we're going to chunk it down the field but I think that process is underway and it's going to be hard to keep that genie in the bottle now that it's partially out. Mm. Paul, what he's saying is it's like 60 touches before a goal. (laughs) (laughs) If that helps at all. I wanted to interject there, Jim, and say, well, what do you think about the disinformation question? I thought that was a good prediction question, you know, answer, because (laughs) I see what you're saying, even though I don't don't know football very well. I get, I get what you're going at there. But is there any way that you think they could pull this back? Oh, I think they're going to try. Yeah. I mean, I'd be more interested in see what Micah has to say because he's close to it. Uh, all the props to Micah. But, but the point is, is that I think the people in control are going to do everything they can to stuff this back up. But I don't know that they're going to be successful in the long term. In the short term, yes. In the long term, no. Yes, indeed. I, I think my colleagues from the great state of, uh, well, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and also uh, my my uh, friend from the UK there, they, they've answered the first part of that question that you had, Allison. So on that disinformation part of it, I'll just say this, you know, I don't want to be specific about which stories, but to me, there have been some stories that have been, they were published, but I mean, I, I would say that I had reservations about taking the information that appeared in some of those stories that appeared this year and other publications. I'm not talking about my own, obviously. I have some reservations about accepting at face value the information that appeared in certain stories that appeared this year. And one of the reasons I don't want to point to to which one is because, I mean, obviously I have respect for my fellow journalists and their efforts to the best of their ability and using the best judgment and their best faculties and their best sources and materials to be able to try and fairly and honestly report on developments with regard to UAP. But I mean, to me, if all this is true, I mean, it's truly extraordinary and that's possible. But usually what we see, if we look at the history of this phenomenon and the way that the the information comes out and the likelihood that everything that goes to print or makes its way to print 
is true versus the, to me, greater likelihood that a lot of it is probably going to be based on hearsay, some speculation, and yes, like you allude to, some may be intentionally bad information that's injected into the narrative so as to steer the narrative or to steer it off course. But in any case, what it does is it muddies the waters and thereby makes it more difficult to understand what is true and what is not. That's how good disinformation works. And let's be clear, misinformation can be, okay, I heard something, I didn't understand what I was hearing, I go and I repeat it, and I completely botch it when I repeat it, and somebody else hears that and says, Micah Hanks seems like a credible source. Here's what he said, and I got it totally wrong, but somebody takes that information. Now, I unknowingly took that information, and I go out and I tell it to the world, and other people say, well, because I trust Hanks, I'll go out and I'll talk about this, or I'll write an article about it. I didn't intend to release bad information. That would be misinformation. Disinformation, very different bird right there, where someone intentionally releases bad information or injects that into a dialogue so as to try and cause confusion to sow yeah. seeds of discord. It's obviously possible that that's occurring, and there is some historical precedent for it, and that's one of the reasons why I say speculatively that it seems more likely to me that some of the information that's currently coming out probably is in that camp of disinformation. It is probably, rather than controlled disclosure or chaotic disclosure, we keep seeing those kind of terms so much right now, there probably is an effort to try and obfuscate, to try and confuse. There always has been. And there are certain people that do that for fun, and there are others that do that for far more concerning reasons, let's say. But again, I, I, you have to be very careful what information you take at face value. And this is one of the reasons why I think as a journalist, it's very important that you always try to be able to have reliable sources. You always try as a journalist to bring those sources onto the record. You always try to be able to fairly report on things. Don't just report one side of the story, get the opinion of someone who you may hate, but who is a skeptic or who, who has a completely different perspective. Make sure that you have both sides, that you have balance. And sometimes I worry that that's what the UAP dialogue right now is missing. There's probably plenty of disinformation. There's a whole lot of misinformation. Somewhere between the wheat and the chaff, there's a little bit of good information. But then there's also a lot of advocacy that while well-intended, it's not balanced. And what we really need more of is we need balanced, rigorous analysis. We need skepticism injected as well as fair-minded advocacy, because we do need that too. And that's one of the issues, I think. So all in all, to me, it's just, you know, Bruce Lee, I think, and lots of others, of course, have, have used aphorisms like this. Don't believe anything you hear and believe only half of what you see. And when it comes to UAP, you can probably believe less than that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I still would have to think that somewhere in all this, we are hearing so much, there's so much smoke, again, to borrow my analogy from earlier, there'd have to be some fire too. But there's probably going to be a lot of BS in there also. And what you smelling ain't always smoke, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. This is Sarah B.C. Thank you for listening to Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. I've got a question for Rich Haddam. Rich, you wrote the Mothman Prophecy screenplay all those years ago. And now you see all of this like in the headlines of The Hill and The Wall Street Journal. How does that feel for you to like do this wild Hollywood movie 
And now all this stuff is like coming to the fore, like in actual politics and it's on the floor of the Congress and all this. What's that like for you to, to see like, wow, I was really on to something here. Well, I never believed that the government knew anything and I still don't. I think that it's interesting that the story that's being pushed is that these are non-biological entities now. They're more like drones. My question is, what do we expect from disclosure if each of us individually were brought into a warehouse and shown something? What is our ability to discern where that's from, what it is? Certainly, if it's non-biological, it's far easier for anyone to say, well, here's the machine and it came from outer space. I think it's really, really hard for us as human beings when we face things like this. We want there to be something physical, but so what if there is something physical? How does that convince us any more of anything? And how do, what questions does that answer for us? And why do we have such a need for information to come to us through the stamp of government, the stamp of officialdom. Therefore, we can believe it. But when our next door neighbor tells us an experience they had, mm -hmm. which is much more about what the Mothman Prophecies was about, we laugh at them and we don't want to hear it because we don't understand it. But to this moment, this night, right now, all we have are human beings saying what they experienced. And in a different way, you guys are saying, well, here are some other human beings testifying before Congress about what they've heard, about what other people have seen. And even if they're testifying about what they've seen, how is that different than the person down the street or the person around you know, the campfire saying, well, here's what I experienced? What more information are we gonna get? I think we want something physical because it makes us feel better. But I, I have a weird feeling that even if something physical was placed in front of me, I wouldn't know what to do with it. There are some people who would still dispute that. And the other thing too, Rich, really quickly, I mean, the other issue is, yes, the government stuff brings a certain degree of weight. But my gosh, I mean, what would that be if it weren't for all of the people? Again, as Jacques Vallée has said for years, what about the farmer in the field who sees an egg-shaped craft touchdown and two little dwarves, as he would say, step out? and they take soil samples. How many stories have we heard like that? How many more do we have to hear before we say, you know, maybe some of those people were telling the truth and they actually experienced something that was beyond our definition of normal? I am all colors, Sam. That's <laughs> yes, exactly. My favorite. Colors, <laughs> my favorite. One last interjection, and I'll shut up on this. I just interviewed Garrett Graff for the Paranormal Podcast, available wherever you get the podcast. <laughs> and, uh, I'm reading his book right now, too. Yeah. Pulitzer Prize nominee, finalist. And he said he 100% believes there's a U.S. government cover-up. But he believes the reason that there's a cover-up is because the government knows, A, something is going on, and they have no idea what it is. Yeah. Now, I don't know, but it's well, an interesting theory and uh, a very erudite guy. I mean, he's written books on... You know, the last plane in the air for 9-11, he wrote a extensive book about Watergate. I mean, a serious, serious guy. He was editor-in-chief, I think, of Politico at one point. Super serious guy. And he believes there's a cover-up. He said, absolutely. But I believe it's because they don't know what's going on. So he's saying that right. the cover-up is we have to start 
seeding stories out there that we do know what's going on. Is that what you're saying? No, he's saying that they don't know what's going on. Now, if you believe right. the and Daily that's, Mail. But, but that's they're the, keeping the it. disinformation campaign that Allison's talking about right. is, okay, we are dealing with something non-physical. We don't have crashed disks. We don't have bodies. We don't have anything physical, but we do have, you know, radar and reports. And we now understand we are dealing with something that is way out of our grasp. But now to imply that, don't worry, nothing to see here, folks, everything's under control, we've got to start building up a narrative that, well, we we got the stuff, we've been talking to the aliens, don't worry, we got a treaty, <laughs> it's cool, America, America, America. And by the way, what about the Japanese government, or the Chinese, or the Russians, or the Brazilians, or the Australians, or all Italians. the other countries on Earth that exist physically where things can crash? No, or Ed, all of the non-governmental places where things can crash and people can go, look at this crashed thing. Or does the government get to all of them quickly and first and thoroughly and completely? Well, I think the theory is that the CIA has this super duper agency that can get into any place on Earth and extract. Oh, what was that? What's the acronym for that one? I just read this this yeah, past week. Michael will know this. The, Michael will know this. Oh, gosh, actually, What's I'm drawing a blank. No, it's I mean, that blue yes, badge thing, the... Uh... Yeah, this yeah. was this was the story that appeared in the Daily Mail the other day, and again, it was Josh Boswell. My friend Christopher Sharp was one of the authors, and also, of course, uh, Matt Ford from the Good Trouble Show are the authors of this. And they they say that the CIA is effectively behind this retrieval effort. Now, those sources speaking on background for what appear to be necessary reasons, Office of Global uh, Access. Mm -hmm. Yes, off global yeah, access. Yeah. All these individuals, for all we know, maybe some are those who have gone to Arrow and also provided testimony, or maybe some who had spoken with Grush, but these individuals are uh, saying that this is something that the CIA has managed for a long time. Really quickly, though, that's the uh, the contemporary note or anchor point, but back to what Rich is talking about right there. Look back to what the CIA was doing way back in the 1950s. 1952, we had the Robertson panel. Okay, where J. Allen Hynek was present along with Donald Menzel and many others. And they essentially said, look, you know, okay, whatever these UAP are, calling them UFOs back then, that was a fairly new term for it, really. I mean, whatever they are or are not, we're more concerned about how people will react to the idea that UFOs might exist. So let's try and engage in a public education campaign. Let's get people to think that the Air Force has a really good handle on this that we can understand and that we can explain all these things, that we have no UFO case that comes across our blue book desk that we can't easily identify, explain, debunk, and take care of. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing to see here. The Air Force knows what's going on. Now, in that regard, Project Blue Book carried out a twofold purpose. One, it was to look like it was engaging in UFO investigations and really to try and control at the behest of the CIA based on this interpretation. And I, again, I think that there's historical precedent for this. Many have taken issue with it and written about this over the years. But again, the CIA saying, look, here's how you should do this. And here's what we want the Air Force to do. Go out there and make it look like you know what's happening. And two, again, really to put it even more bluntly, I mean, it was a public relations campaign. And I'm not by any means the first person to say that. Many are concerned that the current government iteration of UAP investigations is effectively the same thing. And that, again, something that was brought up earlier, the idea that this is Project Blue Book, whatever iteration, put whatever, you know, point oh after it. I mean, is that what we're seeing? But again, the whole point to me, really, about the whole CIA controlling of the narrative, we don't know what this is, but let's try and make it look to the public like we do so that we don't instill concern, so that we don't give, you know, actually right behind me here, I've, I've got Orson Welles, War of the Worlds, 
broadcast on vinyl. Nice. Look what happened when that aired. Yeah. 1938. He brings, he introduces his book. The introduction to Garrett Graff's book, UFO, is War of the Worlds and what people's response to that was. Right. Perhaps the people at the Robertson panel back in the day knew that. And they said, well, we don't want a real War of the Worlds scenario where people start losing their minds if they think that there's something that the government doesn't have a hold of. So, yeah, our disinformation campaign is don't worry, citizens. We do know what this is. We're here to help you. And we've got a handle on this. In fact, there's not even a this here. There's nothing to see. Whereas, in fact, all those people in Point Pleasant, Rich, all those farmers in the field that Valet and Amy Michelle and others have written about all those people, you know, in their bedrooms at night that John Mack, you know, had spoken to and who had said we had these otherworldly encounters. All these people who for years and years say big black triangles <laughs> flew over our house and we saw the damn thing. It made no noise. There were white lights at the three corners and a big red one in the middle. <coughs> and these little orange things like drones that came out of the middle and flew independently. These stories persist. How many more damn stories do we have to hear before we realize and recognize that there is a UAP reality in whatever form that takes and whatever that means? There is a there there. Yeah. I'm going to say, not that anybody asked me, but I have personally recently decided that this is not about interstellar travel. I, mm. I, I, yep. think, it's, uh, I think it's all local and Good existing night, at the same time in ways that we cannot <laughs> perceive. I think we're just being visited by people that are live on the same street we do. And if they don't want us to see them when they're mowing their yard, we don't get to see them. So it could I mean, be like I mean, you would see the you would see the grass get shorter. <laughs> but seriously, it explains so much. I mean, it goes beyond just the UFO phenomenon. Yeah. But it goes into a whole range of paranormal phenomena, which is a lot of what I've heard from people over the years saying, you know, like people like the late great Brad Steiger, who said, you know, the more I look into this stuff, the more I think it's all connected. Whitley Strieber mm -hmm. saying that uh, when I interviewed uh, his wife saying alien visitation has something to do with death. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable for me because I still want to silo it. Yeah. I yeah. still want to silo it. I want to think about <laughs> right. like when I watched In Search Of as an eight-year-old kid and cryptids are over here and UFOs are over here and ghosts are over here. That's a lot more comfortable for me. But you are right, Scott. You know, if you really think about it, is all of this stuff connected? I, yeah, I think there's a million Earths and all these things are coming from Earth or something similar close by neighborhood. I, I watched last week uh, the uh, Joseph McMonagall talking about when he was tasked with uh, Mars a million years before the current day. If you guys have, if anyone hasn't seen that, I'm talking to listeners too, find it on YouTube. It is fascinating. Forrest has talked about it before on our show. He was at a... Um, a talk, I don't know, it's uh, what year it was. It was four by three, so it was before HD. It was like 2004. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was like 2004, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but it's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> a little bit of a shakeup here for uh, any of our, any of our uh, esteemed guests. What do they think about Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick making an, an exit? Why is he leaving? Is that... I did want to ask that. Mm. I mean, I could very briefly talk about that. I mean, he has said on the record that he expected to do a year. He's done 18 months. I also recognize that Dr. Kirkpatrick has both been the recipient of a whole lot of pushback from the public. They have not necessarily been kind to him. I've been the recipient of public pushback because I have at times defended Dr. Kirkpatrick. Now, I've also taken some issue with certain things that Dr. Kirkpatrick did. I don't think that any anytime you are in a position where you are the head of an office within the DOD, 
that it's a good idea to disparage people who have come forward in good faith and given testimony under oath before Congress, i.e. whistleblowers, as Dr. Kirkpatrick did in a private message that he put up on his LinkedIn earlier this year. And yet, by the same token, I can also sympathize because he felt that the integrity of his office and what he's trying to do with Arrow was being undermined by the statements being given by the whistleblowers. So I try to be fair and see both sides. The bottom line is nobody, I mean, going back to Project Sign in the 1940s and then Project Grudge and then Project Blue Book, you look at the turnover rate of the people who are the heads of, of UFO investigative groups, it's not an easy task. Nobody really wants it. And that's really the reason fundamentally why the Air Force ended up handing it off to the University of Colorado to try and have Edward U. Condon and his cronies do a scientific analysis of UFOs that failed. It was utterly, miserably, erroneously unscientific, let's just be clear. But the whole point is nobody said that UFOs and the study of them, trying to apply scientific study toward this, nobody said that was easy. So again, I I have certain sympathies for Dr. Kirkpatrick, and even though he has said, look, it was my goal all along to get in here, stand up this office, get some things done, and then get out the door and let the next guy take over, as has been the case with past UFO studies and the turnover rate, again, that I mentioned. I mean, that's what he says he intended to do and that he's actually stayed longer than he intended to stay, but I can't blame him for wanting to get out. Mm -hmm. His tenure as leader of Arrow has been imperfect at best, but I don't know that there is a perfect in a sea of uncertainties. And that's exactly what the UFO enigma is and trying to study it represents. So, Micah, when are you announcing that you're replacing him? I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that. And you weren't supposed to even say yeah. anything. I'm sorry. I can, I, I felt like it was, on, we, we needed a scoop here. Don't even bring it up outside the scoop. Okay. Now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Really appreciate you guys coming along. I just wanted to give a, a brief moment for people to say what they, if they, whatever their, maybe their favorite story that they got from this past year was, uh, in the case of people that collect stories or... If this is an either or, you don't have to do both. What your plans are for next year? What's something exciting you got planned for next year? Ed, I'm going to start with you since you've had the most wine. First off, apologies to our editor, Sarah at Astonishing Legends, for my mic is just going to be like bottles <laughs> opening and <laughs> and like weird heavy breaths. Um, <laughs> but, no change there, then. <laughs> yep, nope. That's going into 2024 as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot of, you know, because I'm kind of like a goofball where Chris would have like tons of stories and stuff if you had asked him right now about throughout the year. But for for next leading into the next year, I'm excited for uh, continuing to, you know, make the show with you guys. And uh, season two will start up, you know, at the end of January, early February and pretty cool. And, you know, and uh, other than that, just excited to be part of this with you guys. And, you know, I've always kind of been back here for at least the last like year and a half doing these live shows and it's exciting to be up front. So yeah, I'm glad you came to me first as I have almost no new information <laughs> or anything to reveal about myself other than potentially vices. Okay. Well, so thanks for yeah. having me. Well, thanks for, for joining us. Micah, how about you? What, what was your, for you, the biggest story of the past year? I kind of know the answer <laughs> to that one. Or what have you, what are your plans for next year for the debrief? Pick one or the other. You two. Well, I'll first just say, I mean, Ed, Scott Forrest, Allison, Richard, Jim, and uh, Paul, my good buddy over there across the pond, and, and brother in arms on the UAP investigative front. It's a special time when we get together this, you know, around the holiday season and do this this uh, astonishing legends Christmas jam of sorts yes. to use some Appalachian folk uh, nomenclature. But as far as what's coming up in 2024, I've got a few things. Um, I am launching a 
UAP study, there will be a website that I hope to announce by the beginning of next year, along with some other exciting things. For the record, Micah, you told me this a long time ago, and I did not tell anybody. No one. Yeah. I haven't told a soul. Until until yeah. now. You yet said again. it. I was surprised yet when again. you said it. I wanted to be like, shh. But then yeah, it's your well, yeah, project, I, I, so I, I guess you get to say I it. I clued Scott in on this. I clued <laughs> Scott in. And, and, you know, and in fact, actually, I mean, this is an interesting little group of people because I think the night before we dropped the David Grush story at the debrief, I mean, I'd been standing at a bar with Jim Harold yep, in Ohio. I, yes. I knew you had a story. <laughs> yeah. And I told Jim, I said, Jim... In fact, I mean, I didn't say very much that weekend, but I mean, I got on stage and I just said in the next few days, y'all watch for some fireworks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember. Yeah. You were and, running back and forth. You were running back and yeah, forth. And I, yeah, and that was a monster fest in uh, uh, in Ohio. I just said, I want to say, yep. considering the things various people in this group were ingesting, I'm very impressed with your ability to keep quiet, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, Richard was there, Scott Forrest, you know, uh, it was it was really a, a wonderful group of people. And uh, and, and uh, another person who was there, a dear friend, Shannon Legros, yes. messaged me afterward. And she had literally said, I'm amazed that with what you knew at that time, you hadn't said anything. But I mean, that's the way you have to that's do things. That's what you do. Yeah. That is what you do, Jim. You're absolutely right. And, you know, brother, you and I know that from our many years working together. And I'll just say, I mean, there are things I know right now that I can't talk about, but I mean, in 2024, there are definitely some things to be looking forward to. I had a phone call today with an individual uh, where we were what I think uh, Lou Elizondo would characterize as war gaming, because I'm concerned that right now we can't just leave this to the folks on Capitol Hill and evidenced by what we've seen over the last couple of days, I'm not convinced that we're going to see significant UAP legislation go into law this year. That's not a defeat. That's merely a setback. The way that you win the game is you continue. You have to Persevere. remain persistent. And I really think that it's up to journalists, scientists, academicians. I think it's up to former government officials who come into the civilian sector and they choose to work within this space to lay the groundwork for things yet to come out of and from within government. The work will have to be done here in the civilian sector before we can really make any headway. And that's where we are right now. And I hope rather than the big D disclosure. I mean, yeah, we all hope for that, but I don't hold my breath waiting for it. Mm. I think in 2024, we're going to be seeing groups here on the outside laying the groundwork for all of that. But it'll happen, and it'll happen through persistence. Last thing I'll also point out, my best pal, and, and also he happens to be my brother, but uh, Caleb Hanks, uh, my younger brother of three years, happens to be out there listening right now to this fine program, a fan of everybody here. And uh, he and I also are trying to do an Earthlight study down there around Brown Mountain, mm. North Carolina. And I'm Scott and the Forest, guess what? We got to talk about yeah. that because you guys are way overdue. Well, we were going to do it. Next. And then the pandemic happened and everything got sidelined. I'd absolutely. Promises, promises. Yeah, no. Promises, I hate, man. Promises. It's a short drive for me. Forrest, it's a bit <laughs> trickier, but, you know, I'm, I'm in. I mean, uh, yeah, meeting, meeting fact, Mark Cuban didn't stop you. The, the pandemic didn't stop you from meeting <laughs> Mark Cuban. All, all I would say, all I would say is I would extend that invitation to all of you here. Paul, you have the furthest to travel. But, I would definitely but, jump on a plane for something like that. So, so we have a timetable? Let's talk. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Here's my timetable, 2024. Okay, How's 2024. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Allison, how about you? What's going on? Uh, what's, did anybody get assaulted on any ghost walks this past year by <laughs> the unseen? <laughs> or, yeah, uh, no. Okay. But, Thank you for adding uh, the if, unseen. If it happens, you'll be the okay. first person I text. <laughs> as far as uh, stories, like I got my Christmas present. This was my wish last year when I was on to just pick 
um, all the brains about UAP because I, I just I was like 2023 is going to be a big year and, and it really was. And uh, so I'm excited to see how that goes forward. I'm also, as you know, Scott, like really interested in in AI. There's been a lot of interesting developments you know, I hope that it won't kill us all, of course. <laughs> but I think before it kills us, it, it has to has to be able to actually be smart enough to help me write a haunted history tour. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, because no, so far that's not. Yeah, anything I've I've tried on the on the writing has been uh, no bueno. Horrible. Yeah, yeah, horrible. Yeah. It's like I can search Bing. I'm, I'm like, can you help me like search Reddit? And it's like, no, you know, it's too complicated. I'm like, come on. How are you going to destroy the world if you can't even search all these Reddit threads? So I, I think we're safe for now, but I am excited to see where it goes. Are you guys going into any other states next year or any more expansion? Well, you know, I think there's got to be some more expansion with um, some tropical destinations. So I'm excited about that because then I get to travel to those tropical destinations. Oh, so. yeah, that sounds fun. If you got, well, if you need any location scout help, let us know, you know. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to reserve that for myself. But uh, yeah, I'll think fondly of you guys freezing wherever you are. <laughs> Well, how about you, Glad? What's so aside from the you got you're about to have more degrees than a thermometer? What I doubt you have time for much else. What, what's going on? No, I've got plenty of time. Um, whoever said university was busy was lying. <laughs> I just got three very quick things to finish up. Yeah. Um, on the UAP front, so putting all of the main stuff to one side. Yes. I thought the most fun story of the last year was the Las Vegas. UFO oh yeah, yeah. Thing. With the cops and the yeah. I have absolutely no <laughs> idea what happened there, but it was like an episode of the X Files. <laughs> <laughs> Picking up on a point that uh, Micah made about relying on Capitol Hill for stuff, when did we start cheerleading politicians to get to the bottom of something? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not going to have a downer on Burchett and co because I, I think their hearts are in the right place without a doubt. But it was an interesting change. And then the final thing is just a little project that I'm starting work on. I, I've already got the domain name, but I'm going to start running a database for uh, recording precognition. Oh. Oh, so uh, there, there used to be a bureau in London run by one of the papers yeah. for recording such things. I'm going to put a website together to do the same thing. And hopefully, who knows, we might be able to identify some real precogs. That's awesome. That Wow. I'm excited about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The book is amazing, by the way. So how about you, Rich? What was your year like this past year? We know you were on strike for most of it. What's your plans for next year? It's weird. This has been like a hibernation year in a way. You know, you never plan a hibernation, unfortunately, or I don't. They just happen. Then you look back and go, wow, I was in a trough. Yeah. <laughs> it's the coming out of the trough that's always exciting, you know? And I've just got a ton of optimism for 2024 in terms of all kinds of things. Who knows what they are, but <laughs> they will present themselves. And then yes. I will go, that's the thing. So I I am weirdly, weirdly optimistic, but at this time of year, I usually am. I, I'll tell you and everyone within the sound of my voice what I always tend to say, which is in the words of my patron saint, Charles Dickens, and this is, I'm holding up the annotated Christmas carol, which nice. I read every year so I can find out what all those uh, phrases mean that I don't understand. Like when people go, Walker, I'm like, why are they calling him Walker? 
<laughs> oh, there was a politician in, you know, 175 years ago in, in London. It was, it's a topical reference. Oh, you get nice. over it. Anyway, yeah. my point is this. As Charles Dickens wisely tells us in this book, we're all fellow passengers to the grave, which sounds depressing when you think of it, but really it just means we're all stumbling forward through the darkness. And it's occasions like this when we can sort of share the light in the darkness and and join hands on that path forward that give me hope. And really in that weird way that ghosts and Christmas go together, this is the kind of stuff that I love and gives me hope and makes this particular stretch of road so joyous and so warm as we make our way forward into whatever the future is. Amen to that. Yeah, mm. very well put. Cheers on that. I'd... And so, uh, Mr. Harold, how about you? Yes. What's uh, any favorite stories from this past year? Well, I have a I have a good story, but a little bit of an announcement, and uh, you know, it's something I've been mulling over for several months, and I actually had bought the domain name and and registered the podcast. I'm going to start an AI podcast in first quarter. All right. Wow. Because I think it's you're such here. an important thing for humanity and how we're going to live. Uh, you're just trying to get and, on its good side. Uh, so when it starts listening, <laughs> I always say thanks and please to chat GPT yeah, with every right. prompt. That's not true. And I like Absolutely. it here. Yeah. You want to get, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's an, uh, but uh, in terms of stories, I think it's important, you know, at this holiday season, to remember that there's room for miracles. And we had a story uh, that we kind of replayed. It was from a couple of years ago, but we just replayed it on our Christmas special for the campfire about a woman named Jerry in Chicago. And it was a particularly difficult time for Jerry because she had broken up with a boyfriend and she said she wasn't much of a Christmas person. And she lived in kind of a depressed area. She was on a second floor. It was a hard to find apartment. And it was December 23rd. And all of a sudden, outside her door, she hears a scratching. And she opens up the door, and it's this beautiful golden retriever. And she's like, you know, if you've been in bad neighborhoods or whatever, I grew up in a bad neighborhood, you'd see strays, and they look like strays. This did not look like a stray. It looked like a perfectly groomed dog. And she thought to herself, you know, if somebody had asked me what I needed to cheer me up today, and this was December 23rd, a dog. So she let the dog in and she spent the evening with the dog. She said the dog slept in the bed with her. Not a flea on the dog, beautifully groomed and everything. It was just a beautiful companion. And of course, she fed the dog and gave the dog water. And uh, the next day she woke up, she said, I am going to find that owner of that dog because that dog needs to be with their owner. But she let it to go out into the restroom. And the dog disappeared. Never saw it again. And it was kind of a lesson in grace because she has no idea who that dog belonged to or who that dog represented. But that dog is exactly what she needed at holiday time. And it got her through. And she said that was a pivot point. And that made her holiday all that more special. And she never was able to solve the mystery of that dog. So she solved it in her own way. She believes that was her Christmas angel. And again, she was not much of a Christmas person, but she had a Christmas angel. And I guess what I would say is that even though we're all jaded and, you know, upset by politics and everything, this is a holiday time. It's a special time. And there's still room for miracle. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of the program tonight. 
All right. Amen, Jim. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks to everybody here for joining us again this year. We hope we'll see you all next year, if you can make it. I think we'll have a lot to talk about. And uh, we'd just really like to thank you for taking the time to be here, all of our guests. And we would also like to thank all the listeners who joined us live on this, who are getting the sneak preview of our last show of the year, because that's what this will be. And um, we will see you in January. And folks that are here in the panel, if you have a few minutes to hang out, hang out after we end the stream. But I know, Rich, you have to feed the dogs. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, Ed, you can take us out. That's going to wrap up 2023, folks. Thank you so much for listening. A very special thanks to Paul Gledhill from anomaly.co.uk, Micah Hanks of the debrief.org and micahhanks.com, Jim Harold of jimherald.com, creator, producer, and screenwriter Richard Haddam, as well as Allison Jornland, co-owner of American Ghost Walks and a self-described professional weirdo. You can find her on YouTube, too. Also, a big thank you to Ed Vicola and Chris Kulari from Scared All the Time and the lovely Miss Miranda Merrick from the Midnight Library. And, of course, the boss, Tess Feifel. From our entire organization and all of our guests to you, a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Without you, no us. So thank you. Find and subscribe to Scared All the Time and the Midnight Library and Jim Harold's Campfire and the Micah Hanks program and everything else that might have been mentioned tonight wherever you get your podcasts. And make the debrief.org your homepage for science, tech, space, defense, aerospace, and UAP news. There's no better place to get it. We'll see you in 2024. Astonishing Legends is edited by Sarah Voorhees Wendell at VW Sound and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also head of research and the social media manager. Our technical producer is Ed Vicola, or as we call him, the mechanic. Special thanks to our announcer, John Bolin. Hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Isaiah. Galaxy-wide in perpetuity. Hi, I'm Sarah BC. I understand this is with no implied promise. And I give permission to Astonishing Legends to use my voice however they see fit. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane at foundermusic.com. All other music and sound design for the show is composed and created by Alan Caressia. Our logo was created by Tommy Beaver Design, and our animated graphics for social media and YouTube are done by Joshua Sloan at deadstreetproductions.com. Every episode going back to September of 2020 has a transcription available on its corresponding webpage at our website. Earlier transcriptions can be made available upon request to astonishingcontact at gmail.com. Astonishing Legends would not be possible without you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also visit us at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends where patrons have access to additional bonus content, including the Patreon-exclusive show, Astonishing Junk Drawer, which is available every week the main show is not. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's nice to see everyone. Yeah. <laughs> is, Miranda, is that one of your dinner party guests behind you? That's uh, That is a, a former guest that is sitting behind me. 
that's actually Mr. Darling's grandfather. Very feline type grandfather. Very. <laughs> uh, well, let me see if I can move so you can see better uh, the, oh. the full figure there. Yes. So that's Mr. Darling's grandfather. I've been coming to this party for four years, and I've never gotten a plus one. Cheers, Cheers to that. Tess, how is, how's your holiday going? I'm glad all of you have made it through the year and are here and still producing episodes. Yeah, we are all shackled to our editing software, and I have anxiety about the social media of it all, but I try and get on there. Ed does most of the Instagram stories, which I rarely do. I'm not a big Instagram person, but I'm much more comfortable interacting on Facebook. It's mystique, baby. It's mystique. You don't show up a lot. Yeah, you're like an absentee father to our Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, yeah you'd, have to, you'd have to know me for a while to not like me, so it's good to come in in bursts. <laughs> I would say I beg to differ, but I won't be that mean straight oh, out of the <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't do it. Never let you out of the library again. <laughs> the, the problem is. The problem is they're going to get sick of me on there because I, because there's two of us and Ed doesn't respond to most things on Facebook. <laughs> I try to respond to everything on Facebook. How do you think people feel about me? I'm technically an admin of all three of these Facebook groups. Do you think some of the Astonishing Legends fans have a Tess Feifel fan page that they are administrators of? No, but I think the people that have been banned from the page do. Oh, <laughs> my. Or are they writing uh -oh. fan fiction about you? Well, none of them will be able to spell my last name, so <laughs> that alone will be worth it. Hey, everybody. Oh, How's it going? Uh, oh. Thanks for, oh, thanks for staying after. <laughs> I don't know what I walked in on. I feel like I'm the butt of the joke here. Uh, but uh, Forrest and I wanted to come in and just have a little toast to the Astonishing Legends Network before we wrapped up the holiday party. Oh, yeah, thanks for cheers. inviting us. Cheers. Cheers. How lovely. Cheers, everyone. Insert glasses clinking yes. sounds. Sarah, clinking sounds. Yes, clink, clink, clinking. <laughs> well, we just wanted to say that we're just so happy to have you guys' shows on the Astonishing Legends Network. We're really excited about 2024. We want to thank you for everything you've been doing. And uh, we're waiting for either one of you to quit from frustration. Although, uh, Miranda, you've been at it a while now. I'm completely addicted and enslaved. And <laughs> I'm uh, twisted and happy to be so. So thank you very much. I'm, I am honored to be a part of all of this. We are in our ninth season. And uh, we've had our doors open. And uh, once the guests get inside, then we lock it behind them. <laughs> uh, that, that's generally our modus operandi there. And uh, we keep a happy crew. We're very, uh, very, very content. Uh, any highlights from this past year or things you're looking forward to about next year? Generally, at the start of every season, we do a little a kind of a story that's behind the scenes at the Midnight Library. We've talked about some of our strange beings like Natasha Boomslang. And uh, we had um, the Midnight Market recently. And so coming up, uh, just as a kind of a secret spoiler, I think we're going to have for the opener of season 10, the birth of Irma, which is uh, my little demon child um, <laughs> that is with me. And she has very mysterious origin. Ed, I was going to ask you, even though your show is inspired because you were essentially scared of everything, and I don't know how you're not agoraphobic, uh, just because leaving the house would would frighten you. But how do you guys come up with the ideas 
for your episodes? What inspires you about those? You know, mainly I just turn to Chris and I say, what's our episode this week? And uh... <laughs> Scott and I do that to each other. So we know that. Yeah. Is there anything that mutually scares you equally, would you say, other than maybe the obvious? Don't say me. Oh, no. We <laughs> We were uh, going to say Tess, but. That's more managerial, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think we both share a fear. It's a big fear of mine. One of my favorite subgenres of horror movies, and I'm not a huge horror guy, but like for obvious reasons. But one of my favorite subgenres genres is like they're all in on it. You know, like a Rosemary's Baby mm, or Wicker Man, yeah. where it's like, oh, oh just everyone's lovely. in on it. And I think we probably share that fear of a, a not great version of Truman Show, where like every, you know what I mean? Right. We're the only one, everything, a spotlight's on us. If we think that we're going through our life a certain way, but everyone around us is playing a role that's, that doesn't have our, our, uh, doesn't have us as their best interest or whatever, but. Oh, you just gave me a great movie idea. <laughs> take it. Take it. I don't, I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't say it. Don't say I'll it until invite everyone to the premiere. We'll invite everyone to the premiere. Do you mean like your, like if your show really isn't going out on the airwaves and everybody's a prop that's writing to you and none of this is really happening and these two guys are just filling your head full of BS like that? <laughs> I mean, that's a new fear. <laughs> mm. so i mean I, I just meant like i meant like at a party but yeah oh yeah, yeah. So okay. now, sure sure now uh this is worse this is somehow worse because You're now welcome. i have to like work myself to death just to find out it was for naught so that's great <laughs> I am afraid of being a podcast host, which is why I'm the only person in this room who is not a host. People should check out the blog section on our website because they're delicious little bites. You can, you know, if you don't want four hours of us bloviating, you can just read, like, we get this in emails a lot. Just tell us what the subject's about, okay? Just cut out with the, with the other two and a half hours. Just tell us what I'm looking at here. And that's exactly what Tess does in a very entertaining way. So... Kudos to you. Well, Tess, before we go, do you have any final announcements that you want to make before we wrap up the the toast here? Yes. Every year, uh, even though I don't have a show, I always talk about the end of the year, do some shout outs for the community. Um, and this community now includes not just the Astonishing Legends podcast, but the Midnight Library and Scared All the Time. So... This year saw, like every year, so much community and celebration and love um, from the meetups in real life at Monster Fest 2023 to Astonishing Madness and our continual winner who will be banned next year. <laughs> we had dozens of listener stories come in for a Halloween series, tons of kind emails, hundreds of new faces across our, all of our social media accounts, and we even hit 15,000 on the Facebook group. So shout out to the Ooh. mod team for that. Cool. <laughs> Personally, some pretty exciting things happened to me in the AL universe. We were able to introduce the first new merch in years. Um, so thank you to people who supported and got sweatpants and water bottles. Scott and Forrest are allowing me to continue with merch. Um, <laughs> I was a little worried for, <laughs> for myself there. And I'm still working on getting robes for those who asked. We'll see. Uh, we also switched up where the Ark lives. So for seven years, it lived in River, and now it lives in Discord. I'm still getting used to it, so don't feel bad if you feel behind. And not to mention, we got to cover one of my favorite topics, Conjuring Philip, which I don't think got near enough love. So if you're listening now and are sad that Astonishing Legends will not be in your ears for a couple weeks, please go listen to that and tell me it's worth the hype. 
Second, most importantly, I got to continue my wonderful partnership supporting Miranda and the rest of the wacky crew from the Midnight Library universe. And I've been able to help support my new friends. Hopefully they think I'm their friend, Chris and Ed, with Scared All the Time. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Welcome we addition. Do. Thank you for being there. <laughs> Absolutely. And now for the most important thing I got to do all year, talk to you. As the front lines of our social media, email, and carrier pigeon coops, I got to hear your thoughts, streams, complaints, episode requests, kind words, helpful criticisms, funny jokes, and genuine support. Every day I get to use y'all as an excuse as to why social media isn't a pit of vipers and negativity, and each day on every channel, you give me a reason to keep growing, keep learning, and to stay curious. And yes, that includes every channel, even Reddit. <laughs> nice. well, Tess, thank you for all these years of staying with us and I'll, I'll just tell everyone here we we may have another member here for this after party next year richard haddam might be <gasps> waiting in the wings with something of his own for the astonishing legends network but uh for tonight we're gonna say goodbye cheers everyone thanks cheers. so much for joining us cheers cheers cheers, cheers. cheers. Thank you so much. cheers, Happy cheers everyone, cheers, everyone. <laughs>